Hello, everyone. This is Nick Galtney, producer and audio engineer for the Balanced Purpose podcast. Today's show includes brief mention of sensitive topics, so we wanted to give you time to pause the episode if needed and resume at your discretion. These topics include the following. Substance use and human trafficking. We hope this episode is as powerful and moving for you as it was for us. God bless. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Balanced Purpose Podcast. My name is Ray Trevino, and I am your host. Each week, we will explore the essential elements of living a fulfilling, balanced, and meaningful life. Our podcast brings together entrepreneurs, business executives, coaches, and everyday people like you and me who have seen challenges and have overcome adversities to create success and find balance in their lives. Whether you're a young professional seeking to make an impact in your career, a parent looking to balance work and family life, or a retiree seeking to create a new purpose, our podcast is something for everyone. So join us as we delve into the world of living a balanced and purposeful life and discover how you can create a life of balance and purpose for yourself. Today's guest is a dedicated advocate at the forefront of We Fight Monsters, an extraordinary veterans organization on a mission to defend the defenseless. I'd like to welcome Josh Sneed to our show. Josh, how you doing today, man? What's up, man? I'm sitting on top of the world. Uh, that is awesome. That's a great place to be. It's great to have you on the show today. Would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and throwing a fun fact that most people don't know about you? I guess we start off by I'm, I'm Josh Sneed. So I'm from a very, very small town called Henry, Tennessee. Fun facts. I'm kind of always happy-go-lucky, which I mean, most people that know me now just know that, but it's hard to get me out of my character. My life has changed so much, so drastically, so quickly. Bro, I don't see any reason not to be happy all the time. You know? Yeah, that drew me to you. Man, you have a fascinating story. You do fascinating work and uh, always do it with a smile. So that's that's pretty impressive. So you're currently with We Fight Monsters. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that organization? Oh, man. So We Fight Monsters is the catalyst of what I feel like every organization should be going for. It's compassion driven and run just completely you know it's a group of people that came together in some of the hardest times of their lives have decided to pave a new way for people that don't really have any direction in life and don't know where they're going or how to get there are caught up in in troubled times and don't know how to get out of it don't really know that they want to get out of it because they don't know anything different do a number of different things, evacs, uh, natural disasters, sex trafficking, battling addiction. We've got a thing called buying back the block where we're buying up trap houses and shutting them down, uh, remodeling them to turn into sober living homes for families, not just a sober living home, like a transitional house for like individuals. But, you know, once you've passed that stage and it's time to get back with your family and, for those that don't really know how to provide for their family and to be that family person, you know, this is going to provide a house for you to live in with your family and to get your life back on track, you know, rent free for a year just so that you can, you know, stack your money, take care of your family, grow into the person that God intended you to be. You know, every single thing that we do is to drive the next person up the ladder. Wow. 
or just a group of people that we don't mind taking a step back to grab a hold of somebody and push them up that ladder because we know we're going up that ladder. So why not bring everybody with us? Everybody's a human. Everybody deserves the same opportunities and the same chances. That's what we're trying to provide. Just a better way. And so, Josh, when you bring someone out of addiction and you take their family and and put them into a home to help them level up, one might say, how do you provide support? Do you guys utilize education and training and job placement and things like that as well? So, you know, we're, we're in the beginning of all of this. So we're going through it with a fine tooth comb right now and figuring out better ways and better avenues to help everybody. But the main thing that we do is we pull you into our family. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I love about what we do is do we just show up such a small gesture in life that seems to be changing people's lives, you know, Mm -hmm. just simply showing up. Like we're not just going to show up and be like, Oh, well, Hey, you're addicted to a drug. You know, you need to go to rehab. Hey, here's a number for a rehab. No, like you, you can put that, that little bird in somebody's ear, but it's not effective, you know? Like, that's not something that, you know, they hear that a lot from a lot of different people. Hey, here's your problem. Here's how you fix it. Those people go on about their way and you never see them again. And that's the exact opposite of how we're trying to uh, approach this problem. Like, hey man, you want some help? Cool, where's your stuff at? I'll help you pack it. I'm not leaving here without you. We're going to go to the treatment place with you, sign you in, make sure we introduce you to people. You'll feel comfortable. You need stuff while you're there. Hey, we'll leave a number. You can call us. We'll be there. Cigarettes, extra clothes, soap, something that they don't provide or something like this or that. You need it, call. We're on our way. When you get out, hey, we'll be there to pick you up. You know, we're, we're happy that you're making this decision in your life. So when I was caught up in my addiction, man, one of the one of the things that I so often dreamed about was, man, I wish somebody would just show up and give a damn, mm-hmm. you know, just simply care, not for no reason, not because of something that they could benefit out of it or this or that, but just because they care, you know. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, dude, uh, I landed in the middle of a group of people that do just that. Like we show up because. We know what it's like. You know, we show up because we used to be ashamed just to be ashamed. And it would keep you away from help that you so desperately needed and deserve. So we're trying to take all of that cloudiness out of that, out of that whole aspect. Like, you want some help? Dude, you just made the hardest decision. Now, let's let's make the rest of it a little easier, a little bit more accessible. Let's walk you through it. It has to be your journey. You have to walk it. You have to decide it. You have to put the work in. But it doesn't mean that we can't walk beside you the, the whole way. Be your mentor. Cheer you on. Pick you up when you slip and fall. Steady you back on your feet. Praise you for, hey, man, you made a mistake. You know, life is full of mistakes. It's how you learn. It's not the mistakes that we make. It's how we recover from the mistakes we make. Mm. You know, you make a mistake, get back up, learn from it, see what you did. That way you don't do it next time and keep pushing. Let's go forward. And what's your journey look like? What led you to We Fight Monsters? I want to hear all about how you were picked up and saved, man. Look at that smile. Oh, yeah, dude. So 
I've had a very bad addiction problem my whole life, really. I was never really somebody that uh, was easy to care about, you know. Like, I was 100% a criminal, you know, and, and that was more my addiction than the actual drugs. It was uh, it was just integrated in who I was. You know, it was the lifestyle for me. Now, not taking away from the addiction problem at all because my addiction problem is what led me into my lifestyle pretty much. Well, it kept me in my lifestyle. Let's put it that way. But what led me to We Fight Monsters in this place was uh, actually drug court. I got down here in Memphis, Tennessee. I was actually, uh, I was just a horrible person, dude. You ever seen a group of bad people or people that are thought of as to be a, not a very decent group of people? And then there's always that one person in the crowd that people point out and they're like, that one right there, stay away from him. Well, mm -hmm. that was me. You know, like first six months I was here in Memphis, dude, nobody knew who I was. I wore a mask everywhere I went. I was kicking people's doors, putting pistols in people's faces, robbing them, stealing cars, doing dirt, dropping cars off, torching them. A lot of bad stuff, man. Some stuff that I'm just not going to say, you know, like I was a complete 150% different person than I am today. And it was just because I didn't have the opportunity to become anything different. I didn't want to be that person. I just didn't know how not to be. You know, at the end of the night, I was going to be hungry. And the people around me were going to be hungry. And we had to eat. I don't know, man. I've always been a, uh, I've always been a giver. I've always wanted to help people. You know, I helped them in the best way that I knew how. It just never was a very good, good way. So I ended up down here in Memphis and doing the same thing, man. And ended up being arrested for aggravated robbery and aggravated burglary, possession of an unlawful weapon, possession, intent to resale, vandalism, trespassing. Dude, a slew of charges, man. Was looking at a lot of time in a federal penitentiary. And the lawyer that I ended up with was a godsend. You know, I, I don't know what it was that made her think this way or want to think this way about me. But she gave me an opportunity of a lifetime when she asked me if I was willing to go into a program. And, you know, like where I'm from, dude, drug court, I don't even think that's a thing. Long story short, that's what she asked me was, did I want to be on drug court? You know, she was shaking her head like without telling me verbally, hey, say yes to this. She was just shaking her head when she asked me if I wanted to be in a program. So naturally I said yes. I was in jail, so of course, I'm going to say what I feel like they want me to to get out. And it was that type of situation. Well, they ended up putting me in drug court. So they moved me into the drug court courtroom. Everything changed. From the moment I walked in there, dude, you know, I've been in a lot of courtrooms. I was always looked down on, like, you know, people would roll their eyes when I walked in because, dude, you knew I was guilty. I didn't try to hide it. I was that dude that would tell you, yeah, I'm guilty. I did that shit, you know, because there wasn't no way to hide it. It was who I was. But, you know, when I walked in there, I felt comfortable. Mm. I've never been in a courtroom where I felt comfortable. Like I knew I was in a lot of trouble, but at the same time, I felt like I had a chance without anybody even saying anything. And then the judge called me up and was like, Mr. Sneed. So, welcome to drug court. Man, what's going on with you? You know, what's wrong? Like, how can we help you? 
And what do you need? And I knew I was exactly where I needed to be. Mm. You know, that judge opened my eyes to how the whole system is supposed to go. You know, he cared. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, so the first day I had court, like, so they sent me to a treatment center. And then when I got out of a treatment center, I went to a place called Rebo's. And we'll get into that in just a second. But the first court day I had, I walked in and there was probably 30 or 40 people in there. The judge wasn't sitting up on his bench. He was standing down by the swinging doors, leaned up against one of the little podiums and cutting up and laughing and joking with people. So, you know, they told us all to take our hats off and, and, you know, be silent or whatever that the judge was fixing to speak and this and that. The judge kind of laughed. was like, ah, come on, man, get out of here. Hey, so so-and-so. And started calling people up by their names without looking at a piece of paper or without any of the staff telling him what their names are. And stuff like that right there stands out to me because I was always an unknown person. Like, you know, people didn't care to know me. For that man to be able to call me out by name without looking at anything and then watching him do that to other people showed me that this wasn't normal. Like, this this isn't a normal courtroom. We're not docket numbers. We're not lost causes. We're first name basis. Who does that? You know, mm. I fell in love with it, dude. You know, like, it changed my whole perception on, on life in general. You were treated as a person, not a number. Right, right. I don't know, man. It just flipped a switch in my mind. Showed me that, dude, there's something here. I've been wanting this my whole life. And now that I've gotten it, it changed me immediately. Immediately. You know, and like I told that judge that day, you know, he was asking me what I wanted out of drug court and this and that. And I felt like I could be honest with the man instead of having to lie. And cheat and steal and this and that. Like, I just told him, I was like, bro, I don't know. I, I don't have a clue. Like, I'm a criminal. I don't know any other way. You know, I know enough to be able to tell you, you let me go, I'm going to get hungry tonight. I'm going to kick somebody's door and rob them and feed myself. That's all I know to do. You know, now, if you've got a better way of life and you can show me a better way of life, then please, by all means, do. I will take it and run with it. And that's what I've been doing ever since. It led me to a place called Rebo's. It's a sober living home. When you get out of treatment centers, you know, you go to a sober living home. This is one of them that drug court uses. Well, it's specifically for the drug court guys. Like when you get out of drug court or when you get out of treatment, you go to this home. Ben Owen and Jessica Owen owns it. So when I moved in, like I was trying to get the feel of things and this and that. We'd go to classes and go to meetings. Mm. Started talking about having to find a job. Well, there was always uh, two or three or four guys sitting on the porch drinking coffee every morning, and they would jump in trucks and leave out. It's like, well, you know, I've been around the block enough to know what a construction crew looks like. Hey, you boys are going to work. What's up? Let me ride. Oh, well, you know, like, we'll have to talk to Ben about that. Well, okay, jump on that. Like, I need a job. Why don't you talk to him? Well, we will, we will, whenever he gets into town. So, I don't know, that went on for a week week and a half maybe until the point where one day 
Ben walked up on the porch. I happened to be sitting out there. I was like, hey, man, <laughs> just the dude I need to talk to. What's up, man? I'm Josh. I'm new in the house. Whoop -de -whoop, this and that. I need a job. Can I go to work? For the second time, dude, I was treated like a person. Like, hell yeah, you can go to work. You want to go to work? Bubble. Chris, y'all put him in the truck. Take him to work. Dude, it's, it's been nonstop ever since. Mm. They have given me opportunities that I never knew were imaginable. Like, honestly, you know, it, like, and, you know, I'm sure that everybody has this story in different ways or different manners. But, you know, you ever thrown mm. away an opportunity, like a real good opportunity and just kind of thrown it away and not really known how good of an opportunity it was until later on in life. You look back, you're like, damn, they stopped me from throwing away opportunities without really stopping me. And now that I'm getting a little bit further into this, I'm realizing that the way they go about things and the way that they interact with people is, it's not that they're stopping you. They're allowing you to stop yourself from throwing it away. They're allowing you to see yourself as someone with value, you know, not a lost cause. It allows you to make better decisions. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like I don't know how to explain them to justify who they are and how much they mean because a hundred percent of the fact I'm standing where I'm standing today because of being just going that it's, it's absolutely insane, man. Like I was saying just a few minutes ago, dude, I always wished and I had always dreamed that somebody would walk up with a better opportunity and be like, Hey man, you want to get off these streets, bro? Like you want a better way? Come follow me and let me show you. Dude, I always wanted that. And they're letting me live my dream. Eight, nine, ten months ago, when I was a criminal, looking at multiple years in a federal penitentiary. And today, I get to go out in the streets and talk to people where they're at and show them a difference and relate to them because I was just there. I get to show up for people today. So Ben and Jessica Owen are probably the exact people that you needed to run into at that time. And I, I know Ben, he's a brother and he's compassionate. He loves people. He loves this world and everything matters to him. And so, you know, thinking back to, to your journey and the judge, the judge was the first person to open up that thought for you. And then Ben just sealed the deal. Cause that, do you remember that judge's name by any chance? Yeah. His name's Lee Wilson. See, and you'll never forget that name because he, looked at you as a human, as a person, not a docket number, not a criminal, not somebody that's going to come and go and he's going to end up seeing you again. He treated you as a person, the person that you are and the person that you can be. And then Ben has the ability to look inside a person's soul and know where you belong. Right. I think you know that I see that through all of his work. Dude, he reads people like a book. Yeah, he's he's an amazing person. And so in your journey, how young were you when your criminal lifestyle started? Thirteen. How was home life back then? So home life sucked. Mm -hmm. It did. Um, home life sucked, man. Grew up poor. Mm -hmm. And it, it didn't suck all the time. Let me let me backtrack. It didn't suck all the time. We had good times. Don't get me wrong. We did. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like everybody else's good times. It was just times that were better than others that we made. More important than what they should have been because they wasn't so terrible at that moment. You know? So it wasn't all that great. 
parents ended up getting a divorce. Like I, I lost a little brother. Our house burnt twice. Mm. Got made fun of a lot in school because me and my sister were always wearing hand-me-downs. Somebody else's clothes because, well, hell, when our house burnt, we lost everything. So churches and different families donated a bunch of stuff so that we could have stuff. Right. About the time that we started accumulating stuff again, our house burnt again. We lost it all again. So, you know, things weren't that easy. Um, mm -hmm. Then my parents got divorced. And I moved to East Tennessee, to Elizabethton, Tennessee. It's a... Uh, in the exact opposite corner of Tennessee, really close to North Carolina, I was the outcast, the new kid, didn't know anybody, didn't have anybody, and fell in with the wrong people. I started running around doing things that I wasn't supposed to and ended up being on my own, starting that criminal lifestyle, man. Just doing what I wanted to when I wanted to. I was a very rebellious kid. Like, if you told me not to do something, guaranteed I was doing that right then. Just for the simple fact that, you know, I looked at everything like, damn, my parents can't tell me what to do. You definitely ain't finna tell me what to do. And I'm gonna do what I want to, because can't nobody stop me. Nobody ever did. I ended up in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. My dad finally, finally come and found me when I was, like, I was 16, 15, 16. He brought me back here. To West Tennessee, I got put into a juvenile detention center. I guess until I turned 18, like, look, dude, I wasn't in it long enough to figure out or to actually remember what the rules about me being there was. I know I, my, all my probations were collapsed into one county, Carroll County in West Tennessee. Uh, and they put me in this place called Carroll Academy. And I was supposed to be there either until I graduated or until, like, I turned 18 or something like this or that. So it was one of the only schools left in Tennessee to where the, the principal of the place could actually put his hands on you. Like, if you got out of hand, he would beat your ass up. The second time he put me in my place, I decided, hell, I was going to take my GED. You know what I'm saying? I got to graduate to get up out of here. Fine. Let me get my GED. You know, they told me if I failed it, I couldn't take it again for, I think, six months or nine weeks or something like that. But... I went ahead and took it and passed and scored in the top 5% of the state. They had to give me awards. It was a real slap in the face for the judge and my family. <laughs> and right back to the streets I went. I went back to what I knew. Mm -hmm. And the people that I did know, dude, they wasn't going to turn me away because I was a moneymaker. I can make money. I didn't mind doing what others wouldn't do. I'd never known anything different. It was normal to me. Like what a bad day would be to you would be – a good day to me, you know, not being hungry. I didn't really know that very often growing up. Most people's struggles today were my normal life. I mean, that was just how it was. I didn't know anything different. Like my life was terrible, but to me, it was just normal. I didn't know that it was such a bad life or a bad way of living. You know, mm -hmm. I just didn't. That's why I do. I walk around smiling all day, every day. I've been given an opportunity to see life for what life can be, you know, Life isn't all that bad. Life isn't just as hard as everybody seems to make it. Mm -hmm. Addiction has a way of draining life out of you. And then you don't really see anything but addiction. Addiction isn't fun. It was fun until I had to have it. And then the fun was over.
was like the party stopped, but I couldn't stop partying. What was your addiction? Just everything, really. My main addiction was the streets. Mm-hmm. That that was my addiction, and drugs just came with it. So, back when I got arrested, I got arrested with dope, like methamphetamines. That was the main thing that I was peddling, supplying people with, was methamphetamines. But you know, I've I've drank, uh, I've done pills. Uh, I never really did anything harder than that, just because. Like heroin and fentanyl and stuff, that's those are downers, and I wasn't ever a downer type person. I always like to go, go, go. Mm-hmm. What's ironic is you mentioned that you were always willing to do what others won't do, and now you look at your life with We Fight Monsters, and you're still doing what others won't do, except you used to live in darkness, and now you bring light to that darkness, which is awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What are some of the most fulfilling things that have happened over the past eight months as far as rescues or just bringing change to someone else's life? So the first opportunity or the first time my eyes opened to rock and be part of something bigger than myself that makes a difference was I got the opportunity to go with Ben and Jess to an NCPTF conference in Arkansas, the National Children's Protection Task Force. And you got to remember, I'm on drug court. You know, like I'm bound by stipulations and rules and regulations that are legal matters. Like, you know, I, I can't I can't really just mess up or anything like this or that, or I'm still in a lot of trouble. But I got this opportunity to go and sit in a conference with different agencies, uh, special ops from the military, uh, police officers, people that dude I've literally spent my whole life running from and staying away from and nobody not one person treated me like I was anything different than one of them to this day that's that's still one of my highlights man like that's that Mm -hmm. was one of my favorite things that I've been able to do is be recognized as a good guy Mm -hmm. you know like Dude, that's where my real purpose started kicking in. In the middle of this conference, they got a call. A girl had been kidnapped and was suspectedly being sex trafficked. The opportunity came up to shut this conference down and everybody huddle up and get together and bounce intel off of each other and find this little girl. Mm. Dude, we're five or six hours away from Memphis in Arkansas, on the other side of Arkansas. And in two hours, all of these guys and girls tracked this girl down to a hotel on Lamar Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee. Wow. For the little bit of me that might have had doubt or might not have been 100% in behind what opportunities were being given at the, like just up to that point, I was sold right then. Just some of the things that they explained and I came to understand at that conference and then to be able to see it work and know that that we just saved a kid's life. Mm -hmm. Well, matter of fact, that's that's where this shirt came from. I love that shirt. Yeah, it's one of my most prized possessions. For those who can't see this podcast and are listening to it, Josh's shirt says, be a badass, save a kid, which is a, a great shirt. And you can order yours today. Sponsored by the Morgan Nick Foundation, MVP Task Force. NCPTF, 
I'm actually very careful where I wear this shirt because I don't want it to get dirty or anything like this or that. Like, <laughs> like the rest of my life and the rest of my being changed that week. That was one of the most important moments of my life, you know, other than my son being born, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I told Ben, dude, I don't know what I'll be doing for the rest of my life, but it'll be doing something like this. I love it. It'll be, it'll be helping and saving people and kids just in general. Like I can't, I can't walk away from it. I don't want to. As a father of, of two young kids, it makes me proud to be connected with someone like you and Ben and Jessica and just everyone else who is part of, of the fight. Right. Because there are, there are so many bad people out there. There are so many bad people. Well, I don't want to call them bad. I'm going to call them evil. There's a bunch of evil people out there that it makes it difficult to protect everyone. Right. But at least I know there are thousands of good men and women fighting the fight to protect those that we love, those that matter most. So thank you for that. So how do you define purpose in your life? My purpose is others. Mm. Simply mm. put, like such a small word with such a deep meaning. You know, I love that. I love that. And uh, something that just popped in my head is that good guys sometimes make bad decisions but bad decisions sometimes make good guys. So chew on that for a little bit. Dude, I love that. How, how old is your son? So my son's 11. Very nice. Yeah, his name's Mason Dallas. Bro, he's my world, man. He's my world, you know? Yeah. So I've been very, very different when it came to my son because I did not want him to have the life that I have. I didn't want him to look and view upon things that I, I looked and viewed on as cool or in the moment, like what he wants to do or what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted it to be different for him. So with that being said, like I've worked very hard to make it very different for him. And it has worked so far. Like he is an awesome human being. Like He will go out of his way to help you. He'll buy homeless people or people without homes. I'm getting to where I'd rather just say that instead of homeless, you know, just people without homes because you don't ever know somebody's situation or what brought them to that situation. So, mm-hmm. but like he'll buy them blankets or he'll feed them. Like he'll go work. Like he's 11 years old. He'll work in a restaurant or he'll do construction with my cousin Adam or he'll mow yards. And dude, he'll spend his own hard earned money helping somebody else just because he feels like they need help. He started his own kids' choir in church. Man. Mm. he's an awesome human being i know that a lot of times in life you know kids look at their parents as their hero Mm -hmm. you know but that one's mine Mm. my my son's my hero I, i hope one of these days that i can grow to have the care and the compassion that he does just simply just to care and have compassion which i'm getting there i was about to say in speaking with you today and even listening to some previous podcasts, I think you're already there. I feel it that you you have the care and the compassion necessary. And here's the big thing is that you're surrounded by the right people. And there's an old saying by Jim Rohn that we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with, you know, and if you want to, if you want to go be a criminal, then you can hang out with some criminals. If you want to go change lives, go hang out with some change makers and you're doing it. You're doing it. And I appreciate that. Now, in, in the midst of all this, how do you find balance in your life? What keeps you centered? I don't really know how to answer that, man. So, 
it goes back to the dude that's my sponsor right now. He asked me to uh, set some goals. Not anything just extravagant, you know, stuff that you can obtain easily, but I don't know how. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I say that, and, and it's not in, in a negative way by any means, it's it's absolute opposite of anything negative because I've never lived this type of life. I've never woke up with the mindset of how I'm going to help somebody today. So everything I'm doing is completely new. Balance, I, I don't know how to balance what kind of life I have right now because mm-hmm. I'm still learning. I've got a lot of growing to do. All I know is that I wake up and go brush my teeth in the morning and I don't have to look away from myself in that mirror. Oh, that's strong. Wow. You have no idea. For 35 years, man, it was a problem. I could not look myself in my eyes. I would have to look away. And that's just not the case anymore, man. I'm very comfortable, very comfortable with who I am today. To come from the lifestyle that I was choosing to live, to be able to stand here and tell you that I can look myself in the eyes, I can look myself in the face of the mirror and be okay with what I see. I will fight tooth and nail for the rest of my life to make sure others get to know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. And, And that's why I say like, Dude, that's my purpose is others. Mm-hmm. I can relate to people. You know, I can talk to people. Like there's not very many people out here that have been in situations that I haven't been in or been around. I can pretty much walk up and talk to anybody right where they're at. Why not put that to good use? Mm-hmm. You know, like I was given that opportunity and I want to be able to give that opportunity to anybody and everybody else that I can. I don't care if it's just two people, if it's just one person mm-hmm. that makes everything I'm doing worth it. And that's the best way that I've been able to figure out how to explain to people why my life changed because of Ben and Jess is they, they showed up with open arms, mm-hmm. only wanting to see me be the best version of me that I could be. Right. They've never once showed up with open hands like, hey, I did this for you. Now I need this for you. Never, never. I look up to them too, more than I say and more than I tell them because it means more than what I could say. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show it. Not only thankful, but grateful. How do you be grateful? Through actions. Yeah, I'm going to show it. You know, and it even starts a little bit before Ben and Jess. It starts with Judge Lee Wilson. And so when you started telling me about the way he treated you, I start thinking about the impact that you've been making with other people. And I've been asked before, how many lives do you want to impact? And I always say a million, like a million's my number, but it's not going to be a million directly. It's going to be through one person at a time because by Judge Lee Wilson treating you as a human, he changed the perspective of how you look at people and how you look at things. And in turn, you're going to turn around and everybody you meet, you're going to look at them as a human and treat them as a person. And guess what? They're going to meet people and they're going to do the same. And then it's going to cause a huge ripple effect that may not change the world in one day, but it's going to make a pretty good dent, right? Yeah. And I love your perspective on others. I mean, just loving, serving and helping others makes a difference. Even if it is that one person, Yeah. one person leads to 
people, and, and I'm sure you already see it through Ben and Jess. I mean, how many lives have they impact that are going to go on and impact many more lives? Yeah. Many. And you're a part of that. You are a part of that. So hats off, brother. That is awesome. Yeah, I don't think I could ever, ever shoot a number to that. You know, how many people I wanted to be able to change? I would just say all. Yeah, all. Everybody I run across. I just say a million because it's a million. But ultimately, what do I want to change? I want to change the world, you know, one person at a time. But there's so much evil out there. It's it's light and dark, and we just keep fighting it. Like I was saying, I said the other day, man, you know, my addiction affected everybody around me. And I'm going to make sure my recovery does, too. Oh, that's strong. Wow. Yeah, that is awesome. Now, there are a lot of people out there struggling who are in similar situations as you were. What's some advice that you would give someone today that's struggling to find their way that's lost in maybe a criminal world or about to go into the criminal life because they're, they just want a better way? You can't find right walking wrong. Don't be ashamed to be ashamed. Mm. We all go down those streets. We've all been there. It does get better. And for a lot of people's cases, you're not going to find somebody that can help you. You have to be that help yourself. And then you'll run into people that have a better opportunity for you. But the change starts within. Like We can't change people. We can't save people. Mm-hmm. We can offer an extended hand and a better opportunity. But you want change? Be that change. Get fed up. Get angry with yourself. Mm. Try to sit there and look yourself in the eyes in that mirror. And if you can't, well, change that. A lot easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. I do. But you can't tell me it's not possible because it is. You know, I'm a firm believer of change your people, places, and things. So, like, a little story that I tell people, and this doesn't count for everybody because I know not everybody's been to jail, but for the majority of the population that we work with and work around, they've been to jail. A lot of them smoke cigarettes. Well, when you go to jail and you've smoked cigarettes for 30 years, that craving isn't really there for that cigarette. You know, it is for the day or two when you get there and you go through the booking process and this and that, and you get put in population, and then... A day or two goes by and you hadn't really thought about a cigarette. And then a week goes by and you ain't even talked about wanting a cigarette. That craving isn't there. Why? Because it's not present. There's no cigarettes in that jail. Mm. You're not smoking. You're not around people smoking. Therefore, you don't want it. Well, the same thing applies to almost every negative thing in your life. If you take yourself out of that situation, the jonesing for that negative substance or drug or cigarette, you don't have it anymore because it's not there. And that's what happens when you change your people, places, and things. You know, you change the people in your life, and it changes that mindset for you. Mm. And once you change your mindset, well, your places start to change because your people have changed. You start hanging out with different people. You start going to different places. And then you start doing different things. And before you know it, if you change your people, places, and things, guess what happens? Your people, places, and things change. Wow. They seem to get better. Your life is in your hands. God gave us free will. It's up to us. You can't expect anybody else to do it for you if you're not willing to do it for yourself. That's 100% correct. 
Now to go a little deeper, you know yourself better than anyone else. You know your journey better than anyone else. If there was a time machine sitting right in front of you and you're able to go back one time and talk to your 13-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? Keep going. Keep going. Go through everything that you're going to go through because it has a lesson. Learn from it. Because mm. one of these days you'll be able to look back and use it to save somebody's life. Well, that's great. I wouldn't change a thing. I love that. I love that. You know, uh, there are a lot of people out there that would, you know, not understanding the lessons that each of our journeys have. I wouldn't change a thing in my life. And I grew up poor. I went through addiction. I've, I've gone through the stages, but with each stage of my life, I learned something new and it propelled me forward, you know, and I'm a lot older than you are, but there are many lessons that you learn every single day along the way. And uh, I love your answers to everything. And so it's been a great conversation today, Josh. And if anybody wants to know a little more about you and about your organization, is there a website or social media site? Yeah. So we're all over the place, man. Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. You can go to wefightmonsters.org. Uh, you can go to flandersfield.org. We've got shirts and stuff that we make to actually help fund the mission because it's a lot easier to sell a shirt than it is to find donations or funding. You know, it's just a, a good way that we've started doing that. That's onceamerican.com. We're all over Facebook. You look me up on Facebook, Josh Sneed, Ben Owen, Jessica Owen. We're all over the place. I'll also put all this up in the show notes. And I know a lot of our listeners and viewers and people who follow me see some of these t-shirts that I wear. And you're always asking me where I get them. Well, that's where I get them. <laughs> I, man, it, it's a great cause, you know. It really is. Every individual shirt bought goes directly into the mission to help save a kid or help house a trafficking victim, a survivor, somebody battling addiction to help get a family off the streets. Just a multitude of different objectives. Yeah, that is awesome. Hey, much love, Josh, man. Thanks for being on today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, thanks, Ray. I appreciate it, man. Y'all have a great day. Balance Purpose Podcast was created and hosted by me, Ray Trevino, and is produced and edited by Nick Goldney. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Check us out at balancepurposepodcast.com and on Instagram at balancepurposepodcast. Remember, finding your purpose is a journey, not a destination. And it takes time and effort to achieve balance. Make it a great day.